Got time for a quick story. A lot of famous musicians do not have the rights to do whatever they want with their music. The songs that they made into hit singles are controlled by a record label or some other organization to which they signed their rights when they maybe first signed a recording contract. And that's created some dilemmas for some musicians where their songs can be recorded by others, used in other contexts, commercials and such, and they're limited with what they can do with their own creative work. That has changed over the years. Artists' rights are being promoted more and more. Additional rights are coming back to artists. Tommy Rowe is taking advantage of that. Tommy Rowe recently released a new EP called 2020 Vision, and he has a a series of new recordings under his revisited campaign of sorts, if you will. This is... This is a series of recordings of his hit songs, and he's had many over the years. Sheila, Sweet Pea, Dizzy, etc., etc. Well, he's going back to some of those hits and some songs that weren't as big chart hits, but songs that he has recorded, and now he's doing new versions of these songs. And so we're talking now with Tommy Rowe about 2020 Vision and Revisited. D- describe the Revisited series. Sure, look. Uh, by the way, it's great to talk to you this morning. Um, what what happened, look, you know, uh, thanks to Sonny Bono, when Sonny was elected to the Congress back in, the, I think it was the 80s or 90s, um, one thing that he managed to do was get a law passed to where songwriters who had copyrights prior to 1972 could recapture them instead of them going into public domain. So what happened after 56 years, the song would originally go into public domain, but because of Sonny's law, the songwriter can recapture it and have it for another 39 years. So that's what I have done. I have recaptured my copyrights, and I thought uh, having these copyrights, what I would do is go back in the studio and revisit them. So I'm putting out a whole, each time I recapture one of the songs, I'll go in and re-record it and uh, release it as a revisited uh, version of the song. I noticed one of the tracks on 2020 Vision is is parenthetically titled Revisited, and that's Glitter and Gleam. I presume that's probably one of the... Because there are some tracks that are from prior releases, I think, in a new one, but Glitter and Gleam, is that probably the closest example to that on 2020 Vision? Yes, uh, Glitter and Gleam was a song that I recorded in the 70s with uh, uh, Monument Records. And that was produced by Felton Jarvis. And it was almost a hit record. I mean, it was just, it got caught up in a transition of the label executives and it kind of got lost in the shuffle. But it's also a song that uh, Felton was planning to record with uh, Elvis on Elvis's session before he passed away. Glitter and Gleam was on that session for Elvis to record. Hmm. And, um, so I, I decided to redo that one. I, I, I did Sheila. Sheila is up on uh, all the uh, streaming platforms as a revisited version. And uh, everybody, I will release this year. Okay, oh, that I'm looking forward to hearing what that one's like. Now, your take 
on some of these. It, it varies. Like I'm listening to Sheila, there's a fair amount of similarity listening to Glitter and Gleam. I, I, I mean, at first blush, you're like, okay, that's a different song till you hear the lyrics kick in, and then, okay, yes, it's the same song. But you took a, a, a noticeably different arrangement to this one compared to the 1975 version. Yeah, uh, what I did is I took the version that uh, Felton used as a demo for Elvis, ah. and it was recorded by Marvin Beneville, who was a, I don't know if you know the history of Marvin Beneville, but Marvin was recording with me when I recorded Sheila in 1962. Marvin was on that session, and Felton produced him uh, with a song called Such a Night, and he went under the name of Vince Everett, which was the character of Elvis in Love Me Tender. Mm. And um, so that goes back to the history of that is kind of interesting because we did the split session. Marvin did two songs. I did two songs. I recorded Sheila and, and Save Your Kisses, and uh, they released Marvin's record. It didn't do much. So they decided to release my record, which was Save Your Kisses. Save Your Kisses was the A-side. Sheila was the B-side. And <laughs> what happened is the Save Your Kisses kind of bombed out, and there was a DJ in Baltimore who flipped the record over uh, Buddy Dean was the DJ, and he flipped the record over and played Sheila, and Sheila became my first number one, my first gold record, my first million sellers. So you just never know what can happen with B-sides in the old days, you know. Of course, today we don't have B-sides, unfortunately. Right, yeah. There's so so many stories of the of the song that was not expected to be the hit ends up becoming the smash hit, and that's one, probably one of the first prominent examples of that. You... Uh, w- w- you redone Glitter and Gleam, but then also Sun in My Eyes. It was originally, what, a B-side in 1973. What made you want to return to that tune? Well, I rewrote it. And, um, you know, the original lyrics of Sun in My Eyes, I thought were kind of obsolete today, you know, so I rewrote the lyrics. And I, I when I put the record out, I, I forgot to put the revisited next to it. So <laughs> that's also a revisited cut, but I just forgot to put it in the label copy. And... Um, the other song, uh, Looking for a Thrill, that's also a recut of a song from, I think it was the 70s or early 80s that I did, and I rewrote that as well. So, And that's also a revisited, which I just didn't put revisited by it. And, and interesting that you mentioned Looking for a Thrill and the era from where it came. Listening to the lyrics today, it does seem... I guess broadly timely without being too specific to one year or anything. I mean, that's the key with songwriting. You want to try to have something that's timeless. But at the same time, I I couldn't help but think, wow, that sounds like something that could be, in a broad sense, all of the scenarios that are laid out in the verses, sounds like what people could be going through circa 2019, 2020. Mm, that's true. I, I agree with you on that. Um, I really like that song. It's interesting. When I went into the studio, I recorded these at Cinderella Sound in Nashville with my old friend Wayne Moss, who was the original guitarist on Sheila, by the way, and and the founder of Barefoot Jerry. And uh, so when I went into the studio, I, looking for a thrill was kind of an afterthought. I didn't think much of it, you know. And I, I rewrote some of the lyrics on that as well. And once I rewrote the lyrics and we recorded it, I thought, man, this thing really turned out better than I thought. So it's funny when you go into a session, the song that you really think is going to be the one sometimes doesn't turn out to be, you know, the one that really comes off on the session. It's kind of like we were talking about the B-sides. You know, it's it's interesting. It's kind of the spontaneous reaction to a song in the studio sometimes will surprise you, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, 
I'm pleased with the recording of that as well. And then the fourth song on the EP is Remember. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did, did, that was also featured on Devil's Soul Pile back in, what, 2012? It was, and it's a new song. It's not a revisited song. I wrote that, um, uh, I think, just a few years ago, right before Devil's Soul Pile, whenever that was. That was released in 2012. So I wrote Remember in the early uh, part of the, you know, the 20s. So, um I just kind of stuck it on there because I like the song so much. It's so different with the accordion and everything mm-hmm. in it. It's, it's really different for Tommy Rowe. Well, and it's a good it's a good flow on on the EP. Always, I mean that's that's a, that's a key of, of song arrangement. The the best albums and the best EPs are the ones that there's this kind of song, and this kind of song, and it kind of comes up, comes down. Was that the intention of choosing these four in particular to put on this EP? Was there a particular logic to why these should be included in particular? Uh, not really. I just chose them because of. Um I just wanted to remake them, and I was working, I'm still working today rewriting some of my songs from the past that I never recorded. There's a lot of songs, there's a song that I recorded prior to 2020 Vision, I I released an EP called Tommy Rowe Meets Barefoot Jerry, Mm. and there's a song on there called It's a Lonely, Lonely Night, I wrote in 1962, and never recorded it, and so I just, I went back because of recapturing these songs, I went back, I thought I'd just finally record this one, you know, because I just, for some reason, I never went in the studio with that particular song. So it's just whatever strikes my fancy at the time, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really enjoying going into the studio now and redoing these songs and recording. I've always loved working in the studio and working with these young musicians with, that uh, Wayne puts together for me in Nashville is, is really exciting for me. And the take, and these, these guys, the, Young musicians, they t- do a whole different take on the song. You know, it's it's really interesting how it comes out. So I'm having a lot of fun doing this. Well, yeah, and noting the the instrumentation in the background, who are they made obviously not necessarily the biggest names in the music industry, but they're very talented folks. And oftentimes it's those session players that are the key to making a lot of these songs successful going way back and even today. So are there any particular names you want to highlight someone, a, a musician you, you work with, you go, wow, that guy has got a real future. Well, Johnny McDaniel, the guitarist, he's, he's, uh, I really love the way he plays the guitar and he's, He's making quite a mark in Nashville as a session player, but also as an artist in his own right. And of course, Wayne finds all these guys for me. He's he's right in the middle of it. He knows uh, who to get for particular songs, particular sessions. So a lot of it, I just uh, let Wayne take care of it. How many songs have you not recorded in in your in your life that that you could potentially pull to maybe do a, a recorded version of a song? You mean that I've written? Yeah, I've your written. your writings. Yeah, there, there's quite a few of them. Um, I'm going through them right now through my catalog, and um, I'm finding them every day, you know. So, And I don't know why I didn't record them. I think uh, sometimes it was probably the producer. I would maybe sing the song for the producer, and it just didn't register with the producer or something, so it kind of got lost in the shuffle. And uh, so you just put them back in the drawer and forget about them, you know. So the, uh, when you go back and try to dig out all of these uh, these uh, past uh, uh, songs that you've written, it's uh, it's kind of shocking, really. I mean, I was 
I was shocked at the stack that I have in the drawer. You know, I see the lyrics and I see the title. And I, oh, I remember when I wrote that. It's amazing, you know. So, you know, I'll probably dig out some more and do some more recording because I'm, I'm really uh, into this right now. How frequently were you writing songs at, 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 throughout your life? I mean, it can, it can ebb and flow, but like, what was your peak production at, at any given point? Songwriting for me has always been kind of different than the main, like the guys in Nashville, you know, they kind of make themselves write. They'll set appointments and write with different people during the week, and they'll go to the studio or the office, and they'll sit down and say, okay, we're going to spend two hours and write a song. I could never work like that. I tried it for a while in Nashville. And uh, my songwriting comes very sporadically. And when it happens, I'll I'll turn out like 15 or 20 songs. Just I mean, they just flow. You know, they come out. It seems easy. And then I'll, I'll run out, and I won't write maybe again for another year or two years. I've gone, I've gone years without writing. And all of a sudden, I'll just have a, you know, a, a session of writing, uh, you know, one song after another. And that's the way it's always worked for me. When I hooked up with Freddie Weller in the late 60s to write with him, Freddie became my writing partner after Dizzy. We wrote Dizzy together. With, uh, Freddie and I kind of worked differently together. I would come up with titles and maybe a few verses of a song, and then I would call on Freddie to help me finish the song. And that was a different way of writing for me. And we kind of worked on schedule. That was more of a scheduling writing uh, process than with Freddie. But I think it was because Freddie was involved. I was not, you know, we were kind of dependent on one another for our ideas to make them gel. So, um, you know, it's just uh, whenever I feel it, I'll start writing. And uh, then I, I might write two songs. I might write 20 songs. You just never know. How has your, uh, your stylistic approach evolved over the years, your songwriting in the 60s versus how you'd be writing today? Uh, well, of course, the 60s, I was, um, I was writing for a market. You know, it was totally different back then. I mean, you had to – I never will forget my publisher, Bill Lowry. He used to say, keep, keep your song under three minutes because in those days, the DJ would not play a song over three minutes long, you know. And he said, write something that they could come out of the news with. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I kind of was thinking these, uh, this formula the whole time I was writing. It's like Sweet Pea was definitely a formula song. I wrote that while I was in the Army in 1964. And Sweet Pea was, um, the result of Sweet Pea was me trying to figure out a way to survive the British invasion, the so-called British invasion, because all of the, after the Beatles made it in America, uh, all of Brian Epstein's acts came to the States, and they were pushing the American acts off the Billboard charts. And I knew when I got out of the circus, I was going to have to go in the studio and record something, and I was trying to think, how can I compete with all this great music that's coming from England? So I consciously came up with the idea of, of soft rock, something that was so different. And that's how I came up with Sweet Pea. And so when I got out of the service, I recorded Sweet Pea, and it put me back in the charts. And I was kind of started the whole bubblegum genre with that song. And uh, it carried me right through the 60s with one hit after another competing with the British acts. And I, I honestly believe that if I hadn't been able to write my own material, I would not have survived, just like so many of my friends who didn't survive the charts. Yeah. Of all of your albums over the years which one is the most special to you i think the first one the sheila album uh because that was such a 
you know, it was I was only 20 years old when I recorded Sheila, and they took me to Nashville, and I remember my manager telling me that uh, we're going to record at RCA Studio, and we're going to record in the same studio as Elvis. And we're gonna, and you're actually gonna be singing on Elvis Presley's microphone, <laughs> and you know <laughs> all of that. Said, Don't give me any pressure, you know. All of that pressure of that whole situation, and then cutting my first hit there, you know, and then following up with that Sheila album with the Jordanaires singing background, and all those great musicians: Jerry Reed on guitar, Wayne Moss on guitar, uh, Buddy Harmon on drums, Floyd Kramer on keyboards, and Ray Stevens on keyboards. So that first album, that that's really the one I remember mostly. So you mentioned some of the next songs you're working on. Overall, what does the next calendar year of studio work and releases look like for you? Uh, probably this year, the end of this year, I'll come up with. A, I, I like to release these as EPs, four song sets. You know, it seems to be easier with the, you know, the business has changed so dramatically since I first started. Uh, the whole thing of vinyl, although vinyl is kind of coming back in some some sections of the business, but um, you know, back when I was first started, it was all only vinyl, and the whole idea of going to the record store and buying records and stacking them in your house in the closet and playing them on your forty five, you know, mm-hmm. little machine. That, that's that's dead and gone. So I'm thinking now about streaming. It's like, you know, my granddaughter is just here from from Israel. She flew in a couple of days ago. She she applied for uh, college at the University of Haifa and got accepted, so she's in school over there, and she's on break right now, and she came in the other day. She says, where's my grandpa? Where is the Justin Bieber of the 60s? <laughs> <laughs> so she calls me the Justin Bieber of the 60s. So that gives you an indication of how things have changed, and of course with her, all of her music is on her phone, and it's streamed, so uh, that's where I'm gearing my releases uh, to, to that to that um, system now, to, to the streaming system. And that's where I was listening to 2020 Vision, and some of your other more recent revisited ones was on my just on my phone in the past few days on Spotify. I've been listening to it right there, Tommy. Uh, I did briefly meet you backstage back in 2002 in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. There was an oldies tour with Brian Hyland and Gary Lewis and the Playboys, and I was a fairly new DJ working at an old oldies station uh, here in the Eau Claire area. And I I distinctly remember seeing that performance and being really impressed by it back in 02. It's it was heartening to see 17, 18 years on that you're still doing new music. That's great to see and keep up the work. It's awesome that you're still putting out music after all these decades. Tommy wrote 2020 Vision. Stream it. Listen to it. Thank you for chatting today and best of luck going down the road. Thank you so much. Lou. Great talking with you. That was a good chat there with Tommy Rowe. Again, 2020 Vision is the name of his latest EP. He's, as he, as he said, he's constantly churning out new music, new recordings. You can listen to that on Spotify, as he was talking about as well. Uh, you'll find a lot of those recent recordings and a whole lot of music from Tommy Rowe there. And TommyRowe.com. TommyRowe.com has news updates more music links, et cetera, et cetera. Again, TommyRowe.com. Check it out. This has been the latest edition of the Got Time for a Quick Story podcast. Thanks, as always, to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for providing the facilities. You can also listen to this interview and other interviews at the Greatest Hits 98.1 website, which is GreatestHits98.1.com. Of course, 
Subscribe to Got Time for a Quick Story. It's always a good idea. You can do so via Apple, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and rate the podcast as well. Preferably higher, but use your own opinion. The higher the rating, the better the podcast spreads through, through the internet world. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.